Welcome on this great day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work that we're doing all around the world. You can follow all the links from our webpage at breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship here in Boise, and it is from that fellowship that we share God's Word. Today's message brings us to the middle of a series on the six essential experiences of salvation, or how to test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And here in the middle, we review what we've been saying. The concern is so great that we must go over the ground again and again. You do not want to come to the end of your life without an assurance of salvation, and you do not want to come to the end of your life with a false assurance of salvation. So we must learn to test ourselves. We've been talking on the experience of personal salvation. That's basically been our topic. We've been talking on some of the doctrines of personal salvation, particularly those doctrines, though, that we have an experience in, that in touch our lives, and that we come in contact with in a tangible way. There are some elements of our Christian life in the moment at which we are born again, or the moment at which salvation comes upon us, I should say, that we don't necessarily experience. God justifies us, and it's a legal action, and there's not necessarily a tangible encounter or experience of that justification. God redeems us. He buys us back from our sins and our bondage to sin. And once again, that sets in motion other things that we can experience, but that redemptive work of God is not something necessarily that we tangibly feel or come in contact with. The Bible says God adopts us. It's a wonderful truth. And out of that adoption comes this free flow of reconciliation and relationship with God. But the adoption itself is a legal declaration, and we don't necessarily experience adoption. Not initially, it's a legal declaration of what God has done for us, where He declares us His own. There are other things that we do experience in salvation. We've been talking about those things. And part of the reason we're talking about them is that there has been a cheapening, in a sense, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ or be a Christian. And a number of individuals have found themselves wanting to claim their place in the kingdom of God, but they're wondering why there's no power in their life. There's no life-changing experience. The reason is that, well, it just may be they haven't experienced personal salvation. They've come under the banner of the name. They've come into the church and they've embraced its community and communal life and they like it. They have come into the church and they have discovered that they enjoy and want to be invested in its programs. They've even heard its doctrines and they think they're good and wise and true, and they've intellectually embraced them. But all that said, and even in the enthusiasm they might give to express their joy in these things in what is called a worship service, they've never experienced the doctrines, these experiences of personal salvation. So we've been going through them and looking at them, and the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that we're to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And in a sense, we've been offering these up as the things that you might test these encounters or experiences in the doctrines of salvation. So let's go through and look at them again. Actually, these experiences are so obvious that the Bible comes to us and actually mentions to them as commands for ourselves, as points at which we are to act in our own salvation. And so we find them commanded to us. In fact, the last four things that we've touched upon have been commanded to us. They are things that God calls from us 
in His saving work. God calls us, number one, to wake up. And so our first thing that we looked at was this awakening that takes place in a person's life. In Ephesians chapter 5, 14, we gave it as one of our key verses. There God says, Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. In other words, God is saying, Open your eyes and open your ears and open your minds to hear God's word of truth. And when a man wakes up to God's voice and His word of truth, he becomes aware of his desperate need for a solution from his spiritual predicament. Basically, the word of truth that he first initiatingly hears when he wakes up is, wake up because you're separated from God and you're alienated from His life. Wake up because you're facing judgment. Wake up because God is demanding an answer from your life and you don't have an answer to give. And so, the problem with this is that man in his sinful state is not just asleep, but he's in a sleep of death. He's in a lethargy that is beyond catatonic. He's in a lethargy that is really a spiritual coma, a spiritual slumber or death. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that man is dead in his trespasses and sins. Here we have Ephesians 5.14 saying, wake up from your sleep, wake up from the dead. Now that's the hard part. How do you wake up a dead man? How does a dead man even hear the command to wake up? And so... God commands us to this action. He tells us to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to heed. But then, having commanded it to us, God wakes us up. He's the one who opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to heed. And If you look at your own personal salvation experience, however you break it all apart, that moment when you began to seek the truth, as you look at that, you'll discover that it was God first who was seeking you. It was God who was moving you and drawing you. and These were the initial moments in which God was waking you up. That moment in which you began to see that there was something wrong in your life. And you began to be motivated to seek an answer. And that very motivating principle in your life that got you to look around and raise your head up out of the sand that it was buried in, that was God's wake-up call. That was God working upon you. And you began to seek Him, and as you began to seek Him, you began to feel a desperation to find an answer. That was God's wake-up call. Well, the next thing that God does is God calls us to repent, and that's a command. That's a call to change our minds about ourselves, about our sins, about our own self-righteousness. To change our minds about our own selfish pursuit for satisfaction, independent from God, independent from His governance and His lordship in our life. And this is, by the way, the first word in which God applies to the heart the good news. There is this wonderful good news that Christ has come and that He's died for our sins, but the first note of application to that message is repent. Change your mind about yourself. Recognize you're a sinner. Change your mind about your sins. They're very serious and they bring upon you God's everlasting judgment. Change your mind about your righteousness. There is nothing you can do to make up for your sin. Your very righteousness is as filthy rags before God. He not only holds you to account for your sins, He'll judge you for what you think is righteousness. Change your mind about this whole exercise to somehow find an answer for yourself independent of yielding and surrendering yourself to God and His answer because you're just wanting to be independent of God to seek your own satisfaction. Repent, he says. Change your mind about these things. 
Another story that Mark shared with us, I had this wonderful time of training with the students. I was trying to share with them that the Holy Spirit is working ahead of you when you go to your friends, when you go to your family members. These students, by the way, were trained by us this week. They're investing three months as they're praying for their friends who they're going to go and spend a month with in December and their family members. But before December comes, they're going to be going out to seven different villages for the month of November to Horani villages and remote villages where they're going to, two in each place, are going to be spending time. There's one or two maybe Christians identified in these various villages who are praying for their community and they're going to work with for a month going to their friends to share the good news of Jesus Christ and His gospel and calling people into a life of repentance and faith in Christ. And they're going to begin discipleship and they're going to want to plant churches in these communities. And Mark's dream and vision is that these people will get a vision for those communities and that when they're done with their mission training, they'll go back and they'll be pastors and laborers in those communities. We were telling them the Holy Spirit is ahead of you and He's at work and He's preparing a way for you. And you don't just go in there without having some point of contact with them. You go and find out what the Spirit of God is already doing and saying, and then when you speak, God will bring up into their own lives what it is He's doing to prepare them for this good news. Mark stood up and gave an illustration of this. He said, you know, the very first time that I ever came to Ecuador, it was in Quito, Ecuador, and we had trained people in this very approach to evangelism that we do, where we ask people a series of questions and gain a dialogue with them, and he said, you know, we went out, I went out with the pastor and visited this one woman out by her home and she invited us to come in and she was willing to talk to us and she was doing her laundry. Although she invited us in, she never stopped doing her laundry. She was sitting at the basin and she was standing and she was just washing her clothes and Mark, as he's telling the story, starts moving his hands up and down from a standing position to illustrate her rubbing and washing her clothes against whatever the washboard is that she had there. And so we sat down to have dialogue with her, and we were so nervous, and we just couldn't believe that this woman would be interested in listening to us. And I was nervous, and the pastor was nervous. I had him read my testimony to her, and she just didn't even look up at us the whole time the testimony's being read. And then we said, well, we have some questions for you. Is it okay if we ask them? And she nodded her head, but she still didn't look at us, just taking another art of clothes and rubbing it over the washboard. And so the pastor asked her, do you believe in God? And she said, see. Sí. Just as she's keeping her up, see? So he says the pastor's nervous and doesn't know what to do next, so he just reads a Bible verse that's under that question to talk about who God is. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 10 where the Bible says God is God of God and King of kings and that He's awesome and mighty and He cares for the widow and the, whole, and the stranger. And Then they ask the next question, do you believe that God loves you? At some point in time, you're supposed to get a dialogue going here, but she doesn't even look at him. She's still rubbing away her clothes on her washboard. She says, see, just rubbing away her. So it's kind of an uncomfortable pause, and they say, well, you know, let's read to her John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's true, God loves you. Well, what do we do next? So they just ask the next question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And again, without lifting her head on the watcher, says, See? So then they have to find a verse, you know, maybe John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they share that with her. And they get to the fourth question, and the fourth question is, Do you consider yourself to be a sinner? They ask it of her. She's still rubbing away on her washboard, and her hands stop. And she bends over, bringing her hands to her face, and lays over her laundry and begins to sob. 
He said, we sat there for five minutes watching her sob into her hands. And we knew that God was working ahead of us and preparing a way. And he said, I'd never have been afraid to go and share the gospel with anybody since that moment. God is working ahead of us. And what God was doing in that woman's heart was he was giving her the gift of repentance. And she was repenting and obeying the command. The next thing that God calls us to is he calls us to the action to believe in Christ. It is to set our minds in trust upon His Son as our sinless representative. In repentance, I turn away from myself. In belief, I turn to Christ and I say, He is the perfect sinless one who represents me by God's own appointing. He calls us to confess and see that my sins are serious. Then in belief, I look to the Lord Jesus and I see that this perfect sinless one suffered for those sins. He is the sacrifice and the payment for my sins. And that's believing faith. That's trusting faith. I look away from my own self-righteousness and in repentance. And then in faith, I look to Christ and I trust and believe that this perfect sinless one who suffered for all my sins offers to give to me the record of all of his righteousness. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.